Well, good evening, and thank you for joining us on Talk Gnosis After Dark. We are continuing our discussion on critical thinking, being joined again by His Grace, Mar Thomas, and also our producer, Father Tony Silva. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Father. Good evening, Your Grace, and good evening, my sister, uh, <laughs> Bishop Peterson. Hello. And since it's after dark, I am actually going to have a smoke so yeah that'll be fun Enjoy. for the podcast listeners that'll be fun for the yeah for the podcast listeners to be sure you can hear me smoking <laughs> yeah you can hear the lung tissue dying yeah. as, I, as i go well speaking of dying uh <laughs> i don't know i don't know where that segue is coming from actually um, yeah i don't know either i would i yeah. would like to thank our new patreon supporters as i would like to do every week uh so in the past week we've had two more supporters we've had mike and linda and we thank them both very much for their support if you enjoy the work that we do here in the gnostic nyc network and if you found some value in it we'd love it if you would support us as well Go on over to patreon.com slash Gnostic and uh, pledge a couple of cents for every video or podcast episode we put out. And it helps us to uh, do more of them and increase the quality of them and uh, cover the topics that you want to hear. Fantastic. All and right. Father Tony's ramen. <laughs> <laughs> now he can get the uh, the extra chicken kind. Yeah. 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 We can, we can, in fact, we can all of our ramen diets. Um, you know, something we were talking about during the break and that we, that we didn't get to during the video show um, was one thing that came up this earlier this week. Uh, uh, somebody who we all know uh, was on Facebook and was concerned about taking a course from somebody who followed the teachings of a particular esoteric teacher because some of, uh, at least one of the students of this esoteric teacher uh, was associated with fascism. And one of the questions that came up for me is when we are applying critical thinking, um, how, how, how do we do that when we're evaluating teachers or spiritual leaders? Mm -hmm. How do we, uh, what, you know, how far do we go in evaluating their character, their politics versus what they're actually teaching or what they actually taught? How do we judge the legitimacy? of their leadership or their teaching um, is it appropriate to look at their politics or do we have to look at what they produced and judge that simply on the basis of what we're reading on a page or hearing them speak it's funny because I've actually encountered this in, in a very very similar form uh, in in my academic life uh, because I uh, studied uh, when I was doing my PhD, a lot of my work concerned uh, Heidegger. And Heidegger was a card-carrying member of the Nazi party. Um, there have been accusations that he was uh, more than just a, a fellow traveler uh, for the Nazi party, that he actually held certain anti-Semitic positions. There's been a lot of debate about it. And, and the, the, the two opposing camps often say, you know, well, on the one hand, we should uh, you know, dismiss what Heidegger is doing because of those regrettable political investments and everything that he teaches is somehow tainted with it and leads inexorably to it. And if you if you start reading Heidegger, then you're gonna you're on a slippery slope right away. And then there's the other extreme camp that says, no, we have to read this in a vacuum. We can just, you know, just take the texts and look at what the texts say. And I think that 
both of those positions uh, make a mistake. Both of those positions represent a failure of critical thinking because I, I think it's it's on the one hand it's important to look at the texts on their own and to look at the teachings on their own. On the other hand, I don't think we want to whitewash those things. I don't think we want to just you know mm-hmm. set those aside. And so I think this is is amplified when we start talking about spiritual teachers who are meant to be moral leaders in addition to intellectual leaders. I mean, it's it's not just about thinking at that point. It's also about being a good person, being a good human being. Mm-hmm. And so I think on the one hand, in, in looking at, uh, at some of these, especially 19th and, and early 20th century esotericists, you know, there are a lot of regrettable political claims and investments that are made in those texts. Um, at, at, at one and the same time, I think we should take that that seriously. I, I don't think we should overlook it or whitewash it or try to hide it. But at the other, uh, on the other side, I think that we do have the faculty of critical judgment. We can distinguish between uh, something that is a useful, important, meaningful insight and something that's just towing a party line or uh, is coming from a a race prejudice or something like that. Hmm. And I think as soon as we say, well, people can't make that distinction, we're selling people short. Yeah, I, I, I would definitely agree with that. There's a lot of that on the internet of people deciding for other people what what they can uh, what they can use and what they can't for for in that kind of a situation. So, yeah, yeah, it's a lovely place. The internet. Oh God. Oh joy. Well, yeah. it can be. It, it can be, and then you know, it's uh, sometimes we end, we end up looking at also again the the, the behavior, not even just the political beliefs, but the behavior mm-hmm. of certain spiritual teachers. Um, two would be uh, Cro- so a, a Cro- great Crowley example. would be one of them. Would be Crowley. Yeah, or Gurdjieff, uh, you know who? Yeah. yeah, yeah, who I take a lot of inspiration from. But he had at least eight children out of wedlock. Um, you know, ran so up. He's got, he's got Augustine beat by at least seven. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So I mean, yeah, but you know, you end up with with that particular question as, as well. Okay, um, this person may have behaved atrociously, but they've also offered something that has clearly lasted throughout generations. In 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 both the case of Crowley and Gurdjieff, that their some of their teachings have continued to support and enlighten people who have gone on to lead far more exemplary lives. And, and you know what? What it, it brings to mind for me, and I, I just thought of this as we're as as you were talking, um, are the wonderful infancy gospels, uh, where you see where you see Christ as this sort of divine brat, yeah, yeah. where where he mm-hmm. behaves horribly. I mean, he does. I mean, there's one of the infancy gospels where he actually he's he's playing in a. A, a pool of of water, and another kid comes along and sort of stomps in the water. And so, what does Jesus do? He strikes him dead. I mean, he kills him. He kills him stone dead. And of course, the the kid's father goes to Joseph, and Joseph, you know, says, "Jesus, you know, you really just can't be killing the other kids." And so Jesus goes, "Oh, okay, fine," you know, and he brings him back to life. And, you know, so do we then, on the basis of, of those infancy Gospels, if we were to take those seriously, say, well, you know, clearly this Jesus guy, he's a, he's a bad seed. And so nothing that, that comes from that is going to be of any value. That Jesus was a dick. 
He was a dad. I mean, there are just, you know, those infancy gospels are hysterical reading because they're just so bizarre. So, I mean, they match anything the Valentinians or the Sethians wrote, so... Well, it, it, you know, it's it's um, it's it's like I was talking about some of the uh, the Gnost- so-called Gnostic Gospels being fan fiction to a certain extent. When you've got the people who are filling in the blanks there. Mm-hmm. Oh God, I just I don't want to think that. Just oh, but well, you know, you you think about the the development. Fifty Shades of Saint you, Paul or something like that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no, it's the Thirty Nine Stripes of of Jesus, right? Uh, um. But yeah, I, I get to thinking about this because you've got you've got somebody who who has power, and if you have a person who has a great deal of power, and people around them are really not able to contain that, the people who are supposed to be in authority really can't contain that. It's going trying to develop into a balanced human being is going to be difficult, mm-hmm. and you know so I, you know okay, what little kid doesn't want to strike another little brat? dead or with you know some kind of dread disease when they're angry that's going to happen i i still do I oh i frequently myself. do myself do you watch the walking dead because well, i won't spoil anything for you but <laughs> anyway um i want to i want to bring this back around to, to critical thinking for a minute here i mean mm-hmm. we should do it once um at least at least once uh you you mentioned something bishop uh, being in your um in the video show that you were talking about the the need for ask the need the need to ask questions, um, I think that's something that I find a lot of people are surprised by about Gnosticism, um, yeah, especially because a lot of uh, some of the more literal minded Christian traditions out there, uh, you know, people ask questions and then they say, well, you know, you really shouldn't be asking that question because you know, we will tell you what to tells think. Me- Anytime somebody tells me that I shouldn't ask a question, I'm red flags go up all over the place, right? Yeah. That's that's not a person I want to deal with. Yeah, I remember being in a coffee shop once and there was some clearly some self-styled guru in there meeting with a group of young people. And a young woman asked a question and he said to her and he just was very haughty and he said, "You have no business even asking me that question because you're not at a level of development." <laughs> wow. Where you can ask questions like that. <laughs> in other and, words, I don't know the answer, so And that was my that was my response, you know, but and everybody was just everybody just backed down. Because of this guy's, you know, personality. Personality can carry yeah. that off, right? I mean, there yeah. there are certain kinds of, of guru mentalities and guru presentations. Uh, and and I think that it, it's not just in the spiritual world. I mean, when, when we're talking about a professor standing at the head of a class, mm-hmm. uh, if I had one of my students ask me a question and I said, you know what, you're not ready to answer that, to ask that damn question. They're going to back down in a minute you know, because right. of the power relationship, because of the power dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I think that as soon as we start elevating people and saying, you know, this person is an adept, this person is an enlightened teacher, or even this person is a bishop, uh, yeah. we run that very serious risk of, mm-hmm. of not allowing questions to be asked simply because they, they don't uh, – they don't conform to our prejudices. And, you know, I meant, I meant to mention this, uh, you know, in, during the, the video show, one of my favorite quotes, and I, I don't know what the ultimate provenance of it is. I think both Crowley and, and Frater Akkad 
uh, quote it is, you know, the sin which is unforgivable is knowingly and willingly to deny truth, to fear knowledge, lest that knowledge pander not to thy prejudices. I mean, that's just, I mean, I could put that on a plaque and just, you know, carry it with me wherever I go. For, <laughs> yes. As far as I'm concerned, that's the essence of, of critical thinking. Well, let me ask you a follow-up hypothetical. Um, so let's say, you know, you have a, uh, a, a person in your parish who is asking a lot of questions and, and coming up with some, you know, answers of their own and you're helping them. What if this questioning leads them away from your tradition? What, how do you deal with something like that? Because that it happens. Um, then you point them in the direction of a tradition that's going to be more helpful for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For me, it's that easy, right? I mean, that's, you know, and, and that has happened. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there are situations where somebody comes to the AJC and they say, well, you know, well, I'm interested in this aspect and I'm thinking about things in this way. And you sort of go, well, maybe this isn't the place for you. But, hey, you know, just down the road is, uh, you know, are the Methodists, or, you know, just down the road is this other Gnostic church, or just down the road are the Thelemites, or just down the road are the Hare Krishnas, or whatever. I, I think one of the things that's, that Gnosticism allows us to do is to recognize that our path is not the only path. Mm -hmm. And and as soon as we are able to to admit that to ourselves, uh, then we have a, a much better chance of of helping other other seekers who maybe are are on a different path than we are. Mm -hmm. Does that does that sort of where you were headed with that? Yeah, absolutely. Episode? Yeah, I mean, I had a I had a conversation online, and I know that you mentioned that you, we shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> no, I, I, Just I what, stop it. Yeah, stop. No, I had a conversation online with a uh, with a gentleman who um, who kept asking me. Well, isn't Gnosticism a heresy? And I kept saying, "Well, okay, that, but it depends on your definition of heresy." And, and I always, I always usually follow that up by saying, "Heresy is in the eye of the beholder." So, you know, if yeah, okay, if you believe that you know what we're doing is against the will of God, then sure, yeah, we're Gnosticism is a heresy. But um, and then he would ask us, "Well, and there's a Catholic Church on every corner that would be perfectly happy to exactly, to exactly." But he he wasn't happy with some of the political stuff that's happening in, in some of the mainstream denominations and you know the well, and so he and that that is a tough negotiation else. sometimes yeah, i mean that that's and and fortunately we live in a, a time where there are other options mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. i mean this is i mean if you imagine sort of being in this position in you know 13th century france uh, you, know, you don't have a whole lot of other options. You can't go down the street to uh, a, a different kind of church and, and get a different perspective. And so we're very, very lucky in that we can say to people, you know what, there are other possibilities and, and they're good too. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. And it's, I, I think that, that Father Tony, your, your story sort of raises another issue, which is that there, there is a certain kind of conversation that I think many of us have had where you just realize at some point that it isn't going anywhere. Yeah. That, mm -hmm. that, that this is just, it's a non-starter. That the premises that the person's working from or their libidinal investments or their prejudices uh, are, are just so so disparate from our own that they're just, they're just talking a different language. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point you just say, you know what? I okay. 
okay, you d- go do something else. Yeah. Uh, and you, you have to disengage. And I think that one of the things that's really important is recognizing that that's not a failure on our part, that that's yeah. not, uh, uh, that doesn't represent some sort of problem for us. But instead, it means that somebody is at a place where, where what we have to offer isn't necessarily what's going to be the most helpful thing for them. And for Gnostics, you know, we're not, we're not, this is not a numbers game for us. We're not, you know, notching converts on our bedposts here. Um, at least I'm not concerned about people you know, going to hell because they happen to hold to a belief that's heretical. But I also don't believe that, that what, we, what I believe is necessarily what's going to save somebody else. So I don't worry about people, uh, you know, going to hell. I just ask them to save me a seat. Yeah, let's actually let's let's go off on that tangent a little bit because we were uh, it was last year's conclave. We we were on a tour of sacred spaces. I, I don't know if um, if you were in on that, Bishop Laney, but um, we did a, a tour of sacred spaces in Chicago. It was very nice. We went to a lot of different churches and looked at a lot of different things. But the tour guide said uh, said to the group. So do you guys um, do you guys proselytize? Do you guys you know try and recruit converts? And and mm-hmm. everybody around the the room said no 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 no. And I said yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because I do think that what what we do is valuable. You know I'm yeah. not I'm not necessarily going to go knock on doors and ask total strangers. You know have you heard the bad news about the demiurge? But. <laughs> the, 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 the whole idea that you know, I think it's I think it's valuable. I wouldn't be here if I didn't think it was valuable. And I think that what we have is useful to people in a spiritual sense. And mm-hmm. so I think that when whenever I have the opportunity to talk to somebody about it, I do. Which is why I started this video network. <laughs> yeah. And um, but I don't I, I I don't see it as a you know outreach for the sake of outreach. I see it as here's what we have. Here's what we do. This is what's available. If this is something that appeals to you and is interesting, then I, you know I can point you in that direction. But that's that. But that's the point, isn't it? Right? Is that you're always willing to take no for an answer? Oh, sure, right. absolutely. And 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 that is, I think, what what sets us apart from, uh, you know, the traditional model of proselytizing is is you know if you say you know what that's not where I am we go well okay I I wish you the best of luck we're going to leave the light on and the candles lit and you know if you find that what we have to offer is something that that would be useful to you come on back you know we're we're yeah. still going to be here we're not going to judge that um right. how many of us uh have gone through you know our spiritual journeys have taken us to a lot of strange places mm-hmm. um you know, some stranger than others, but um, <laughs> absolutely. You know, I mean, I I found my way to the AJC. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was a tortuous path. And and it's not that I think that the the places that I stopped along the way were mistakes. Um, right. no. You know, I, I don't think I've ever made a a serious spiritual error. I didn't, uh, you know, end up in a cult somewhere and, and, you know, a destructive cult and have to say, oh, well, you know, I need to get out of that so I can get someplace safe. Um, I just went to places that had different perspectives. And, you know, uh, at one time, you know, that might have been, uh, you know, the Orthodox faith. And at one time that might have been Thelema. And another time it was atheism. Uh, so I've been through that sort of uh, journey. And if I believed that that the way that I had found was the only way, then I would have to acknowledge that 
all of those other stopping points along the way were just horrible errors. And, yeah, and I, won't, I won't say that. And I, exactly. Exactly. They were just dead ends. And I won't say that because it's those stopping places that led me here. Yeah, I mean, I think about my own, you know, I came to, into all this when I, was, when I was I was in theological seminary, for heaven's sakes. I was a Baptist. Oh, yeah, you see, I was trying not to say that, but <laughs> <laughs> since you brought it up. You know, but the thing of it is, honestly, being, you know, being in a situation where you're being challenged by genuine scholars and your theology, your biblical study, your church history, I, I was left to think th think about things very differently. And some things just didn't make any sense anymore after a while. And, uh, you know, eventually it, it, it led me, again, on a kind of a torturous path, but it, it, it led me to Gnosticism, which actually made a heck of a lot more sense than, uh, <laughs> than, what, I, than what I believed when I entered into seminary. And as soon as you say that Gnosticism makes sense, we, we really have to question your, your, your mental stability at that point. So, so but, oh, I see we have a, oh, thank you. That's a, that's a wonderful shot there for uh, those of us who are looking at the video. A wonderful image of, uh, of Ken's cat. Uh, so. one, of my, one of my many cats. This is Sophie, who, uh, who uh, during the podcast, seems to always want to show her tail and her behind to our guests. So if you're a Patreon supporter, you can watch the podcast being recorded live. Um, just go to patreon.com slash Gnostic. Bishop Ken's cat's ass. What's your face? There we go. Oh, adorable. Are we gonna are we gonna bring out all the pets now? We just We know. talked about doing that for a, for the April Fools episode, but um, we're actually not very funny as a group. So yeah. we decided to not do April Fool's. My April Fool's jokes are fantastic. Yeah, yeah. that was wonderful, even though it caused some confusion, Bishop, Bishop Williams. So. Yeah, I just uh, this was a good one, and it's it's I, I consider it sort of a hazing process mm -hmm. now. That uh, may, maybe this is really about critical thinking. That uh, you know, if if you're reading, <laughs> if you still want to hang out with this jerk, <laughs> well, exactly. Then yeah. then your critical faculties are suspect. Uh, but uh, you know, every time. You know, for for those who don't know, uh, every April Fools, I write my resignation letter and say that I'm going off to do you know some bizarre thing. You know, join the the you know first Gnostic Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, or you know, <laughs> I think last year was uh, the the uh, Gnostic Church of uh, My Little Pony. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that one had legs. We talked about that for months. Yeah, the last year was was my little pun. what, and this year was. Uh, well, maybe we shouldn't say publicly. Yeah, they, yeah, that's <laughs> probably just as well. It does uh, refer to some people. <laughs> but uh, you know, if, if you read through them, I mean, I think uh, uh, April Fool's jokes are a good test of our critical faculties. You know, uh, yeah. if if you buy into it, you know, maybe you go, mm, maybe I need to sharpen my thinking skills well, a little. It's bit. become easier. I think over the years, now that the internet has fully embraced April fools as a tradition, but yeah. I, you know, it wasn't too long ago when there weren't so many people who were, whose lives were entrenched in the internet enough to know that that was happening. Mm -hmm. So it used to be a lot easier to fool people, uh, come April 1st. Uh, but look at the way that people get fooled by uh, Onion articles. Oh, yeah. Not just the Onion. There's a, yeah, there's a lot of satirical, quote-unquote, news sources out there. And there are some that don't even label themselves as such. But you yeah. look it up on Wikipedia, and it says they are. And, of course, right. Wikipedia is always right. 
So. <laughs> <laughs> But I think this does bring us up an issue of of, of uh, issue of, so of sources in critical thinking, um, and uh, you know, for example, recently uh, I saw an argument between some people in which one person kept on insisting that the other party read a book, <laughs> and any book, any not read a specific book. book, but read a book, a, 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 a book a, a, and a very, read. A fifty-year-old book on Gnosticism oh, by okay. a specific I, I author. Thought that, that what they were saying because I've said that to people in the past. I've said, you know what you need to do? You need to read a book, any book, any book will do. This was a conversation though a that book. that somebody that that I was having with a person, and they told me to read the book. And I'm no I'm nobody special, but I've read the Gnostic Gospels. I'm familiar with it. I know it's in it. I kind of do this stuff. <laughs> and unfortunately, the individual was was confused. Was confused on a matter that many people can get confused by. But their tactic in their their whole tactic in the argument was to tell somebody to read this book without citing anything, right. um, without citing any specifics from the book. When the person was gently challenged, the response was just read the book. Right. And I I think that that's. Bishop Ben talked earlier about the problem of trying to argue these things on social media. Nobody wants to cite chapter and verse. Nobody right. wants to wants to cite. Well, <laughs> sure yeah, you my, do, but I mean it, it's an interesting conundrum for Gnostics because you can cite chapter and verse, and you can cite the Gospel of Thomas, and you can cite this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, you can always say. Well, yeah, but those kinds of things aren't infallible and, and authoritative in the way that they are in the other mainstream traditions, so it doesn't matter, and I can ignore your argument anyway. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's all right. That's all right. But I'm always very, very frustrated about the lack of, uh, uh, of a footnoting feature in, in Facebook <laughs> conversations, because that's what I want. I want to be able to, to put my citations in, uh, because that's... That's that's the kind I, I've always said that I can never I could never kill myself because I'm spending too much time putting the footnotes in my suicide letter. <laughs> so. Actually, uh, Bishop Ian, tell us your opinion on infographics. Oh Jesus! Oh God! <laughs> I, I have a blog post about it. I've, on my I have you know eight blog posts in the whole world, and one of them's on infographics. So yeah. uh, I, I just I it, I find it so frustrating. Um, you know, to to see these these little snippets that purport to tell us, uh, you know, some important fact, and I find that probably seventy five percent of them are just wrong. Yeah, uh, uh, the twenty five percent that aren't just you know completely wrong are are misleading. I, I just. Every once in a while, I will admit, every once in a while, I have seen an infographic that I think is useful. Mm -hmm. And I think that at one time, infographics were really useful for, for distilling down information in a really concise sort of way that you could, you could take a complex question and, and really just come up with a, a really quick and dirty answer to it. But my, my personal favorite is the one that has a picture of, I want to say, uh, uh, Benedict Sixteenth uh, with a with a rifle, and it it tells us that the uh, Catholic Church is the second largest shareholder oh, right. in uh, Beretta weapons manufacturing. Yeah, and I I saw this and I went, 
now wait a second. <laughs> this just doesn't pass the sniff test. And sure enough, it took me all of about 12 seconds to discover that Beretta is a privately held company. They don't have shareholders. <laughs> so I know that this is wrong. I mean, I, I know that it's false. And it literally took me 10 seconds to, to find out the information that I needed. And that, I think, is ultimately what frustrates me, not just about uh, infographics, but about discourse on, on, on social media in, and, and the internet in general is this, this unwillingness to take advantage of the wealth of information that the internet affords us. Mm-hmm. And if, if you're going to put something on, you know, out on uh, Facebook or Google Plus or Twitter that makes some sort of factual claim, for God's sake, take the extra 45 fucking seconds to look it up on snopes.com i I mean it's just why is that an unreasonable demand to me now we're getting into the after dark and i'm getting ornery (laughs) well actually we're we're prime we're prime in the season of uh the ishtar equals easter uh infographic that's going around i mean it's uh, for those listening after the fact it's april 9th 2014 and so we're we're right in the middle of it we're coming up to easter here but i think that that and the you know the beretta issue and the you know the other things equals jesus that's another yeah horus equals jesus but i think those are because uh, those are emotional responses those don't those bypass the the intellect entirely because people who post those things a want to believe that the catholic church is the big evil and b want to you know want to have some kind of a connection to an authentic pagan spirituality or whatever it happens to be um Mm -hmm. and for that reason they'll post it without thinking about it because it's what they want to believe i think don't post without thinking Uh, you know, I think Father Tony brings up a good point. A lot of these memes and infographics and whatnot are designed to get people, provoke an emotional reaction. The person goes, ee, and then hits, hits the share button or the like button, and then and it it's gets very spread. Effective. Um, but I think that this, you bring up something else important here is that a lot of people in our, in our movement, our community are, uh, it seems to me, can be prone to, wanting to diss Christians and, and by claiming that the early Christians conspired mm-hmm. against the Gnostics and woke up, you know, woke up every morning and decided that they were going to hide the Gnostic Gospels and, um, you know, and, and that they were going to oppress the Gnostics and that sort of thing, which is not really how this all come, this, all, all this played out. That's never how it works. That's just, you know, it, uh, yeah, so it's 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 kind of disturbing being part of a community that, in some cases, seems very willing to believe a whole lot of BS because it satisfies a certain emotional uh, need to be hostile toward Orthodox religion. I say small small o- o Orthodox there. Sure, and, and I I always think that that if you've got to make crap up in order to to convince people that you're right you might not be the good guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, if if you have to lie about it. And the fact of the matter is that when we're dealing with many of the the political and, and, and social policies that many of us uh, have a problem with in mainstream Christianity and in mainstream religion generally, the fact of the matter is that the truth is actually bad enough. That yeah. we can we can make our point just by being honest, mm-hmm. and when we decide that we're going to misrepresent uh, the truth just so that we can sell it a little more easily, 
what we've really done is said, you know, you person that I'm talking to, you must be a moron. You must be stupid because, because the truth, I believe that the truth isn't enough to convince you. Mm-hmm. And I think that we need to have a little more faith in, in our fellow human beings, especially within our own community and say, you know what, if we want them to, to believe what we believe, let's show them the truth and see what they think about it. Well, you know, on this, you know, if I can interject real quickly, is you know, uh, I think though you kind of uh, bring up uh, the uh, a point that we were discussing earlier in the show when you say show them the truth, you know, um, you know, many, I think, Gnostics would, or when I say Gnostics, let me kind of clarify the point. Many people who may consider themselves Gnostic, or many of the quote unquote so-called neo-Gnostic type movements. Um, um, don't really kind of see any form of objective truth. Many things are very subjective to them. Uh, in many cases, you can have um, what you believe may be um, um, valid arguments, uh, intellectual discussion, but yet they want to maybe sometimes then distill everything back to, well, you know, none of this really matters because it's all an eternal process and it's whatever my intuition or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, the God inside of me says and none of this makes any sense. And, you know, I see this form of argument and especially on social media where you have uh, various groups with various agendas who tie all sorts of various ideas together. They may have Hindu uh, ideas, Buddhist ideas, uh, um you know, Gnostic ideas, um, pagan goddess worship ideas, all sorts of various ideas all tied together in a hodgepodge. And when it's questioned, if you do not agree with their thought process, it all boils down to, well, none of it matters because it's all all internal anyways. Well, that's a cop-out, uh, isn't it? I mean, that's yeah. just, I believe it is. Um, and, and I think that at the same time, I mean, there there is a certain extent to which, you know, we can say, you know, I, I've had this experience and I can't necessarily share that experience with you. And so uh, this experience convinces me of something, but I can't necessarily communicate that uh, to you. But at that point, you have to say, well, then I can't expect you to take my my experience seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, now I've been in situations where I've been talking with people, um, and I say, well, you know, I've had certain experiences that, that lead me to believe certain things. And they say, well, how do you expect me to believe this? And I say, well, I don't care if you believe it. Uh, that's not my point. I'm not, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. And they always seem very taken aback when mm-hmm. I say my goal in talking about my experiences is not. To, to convince you that I'm right. It's simply to share the experiences that I've had. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, as soon as we get into trying to make a claim, trying to, to persuade somebody, that's when we've got to be really, really careful about the, the claims that we make and, and to be sure that we can back them up with some form of evidence. And evidence can take all sorts of forms, right? I mean, evidence isn't just, you know, peer-reviewed uh, articles in in uh, formal journals. Sure. Uh, it, and it I think can it could be, be argued that, that anybody can manipulate the evidence or or manipulate the facts or manipulate anything to try to prove the point. We, we see it constantly, I think, within, uh, within uh, various, you know, religious 
uh, scholars or various religious arguments where one particular group may take particular scripture to argue one point and one may pull something out of context to, to argue another point. Or, or take the same scripture and, and, and try to make it say something completely different. And Absolutely. maybe, frankly, it does. I mean, maybe it is an ambivalent point. But I think that when we are critical and when we are disciplined and when we are rigorous in our thinking, we're able to make the distinction between a use and a misuse of a yeah. scriptural tradition, for example. Mm -hmm. so. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's um, funny when you go on Amazon and you read some of the reviews of spiritual books and you'll get some enlightened master who decides to comment in there and comes up with in, you know, completely inaccurate etymology uh, for, for various Oh, those are always fun. And yeah. that, those are always a, a lot of fun. Um, in fact, one person argued that the word divine meant a vine that had been split in half. Yeah, of course. That, that yeah, makes yeah, sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we even see that with the word uh, with the word demiurge. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people will say that demiurge means half maker. It's like no, that's that's not what it means at all. That's that that's a completely false etymology. Mm -hmm. um, you know that that demiurgos, you know, just means maker. It just means somebody who fashions something. Um, so, and false etymology is. I mean that runs rampant because it's it's so easy to to see these connections. Mm -hmm. That could be a fun show. Everybody just calls in and gives their favorite false et etymology, and then you can actually go over what the word actually means. You know, uh, uh, Lainey, you and I, um, you know, obviously were both uh, students of of William Webb back in the day, and he was one of the worst offenders. He was oh. awful with that. I mean, I just, uh, you know, God rest his soul. <laughs> Uh, I learned so much from from my experiences oh, yes. with him, but he would send these these etymologies, and I would just roll my eyes. And uh, so, uh, again, babies in bathwater, right? I mean, just because somebody Absolutely. makes a stupid false etymology doesn't mean that you dismiss everything that they say. But uh, we should be careful with that. It, 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 it keeps you working. It keeps you yeah. working because you, you yeah. can become entirely passive if somebody is is always right on about everything. So one of the like me. I'm, I'm always right off about everything, so I never. That's why we're all passive in your presence. <laughs> exactly. <in> your <laughs> that, and I don't let anybody get a word in edgewise. So. Oh, that's been well. I don't know about that, but. Well, let's do that. Uh, so we were talking about the um, about evidence in terms of critical thinking, and mm -hmm. we've I think we've danced around a little bit when we're talking about subjectivity versus objectivity mm -hmm. when. When we're talking about gnosis, I think I'd like to think we're all talking about the same thing when mm -hmm. it's applied to you or to me or to somebody else. How can critical thinking assist us in that process? I mean, not necessarily that we're going to become judges of everybody else's gnosis, but you know, how can we talk about this experience uh, in a meaningful way across different psyches, I guess? I think one of the things is is that we look at its effects. We look at the way in which it's it's changed our lives, mm -hmm. and so uh, you know, to take an example, and I was thinking about this uh, this morning as I was walking, you know, across the car park to uh, to my office. Um, I was praying. And this is actually something that's coming out of the conversation we had on Talknosis After Dark a couple of weeks ago uh, on the subject of prayer. And 
it, it occurred to me that, uh, that I could make the claim that when I pray mindfully, it prevents me from, you know, from yelling at the guy who cuts me off in traffic or, mm-hmm. uh, or getting pissed off at the person who double parks in the, in the parking lot when there's not enough parking spaces to go around. That, that that's a very specific effect that I can point to, that I can mm-hmm. say, this is something that, that prayer helped me do. Mm-hmm. And in some sense, as much as I was saying that, that we oughtn't to simply fall back on the scientific methodology – there is something repeatable about that. I mean, if I use that as evidence, one of the things that I can say is, why don't you try it for a week? Why don't you try when you're, you know, walking to and from your office, take time to pray and see what the effects are. Mm -hmm. And if the effects are the same, then we can start to, we can start to have a conversation where we have a shared experience Mm -hmm. where, where, you know, you did something and you got this effect and I did something and I got the same effect. Well, maybe there's a connection there. Maybe there's something that we can talk about. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, I think you mentioned earlier, um, Mar Thomas, the idea of, of journaling, for example, uh, that can be a way, I think, of, of providing evidence or verification for one, one's experiences. And you can look back and you can say, well, I began this practice at this time and this was, was my mental state. This is how things have evolved and changed um, over time. And that can be, I think, very useful in some cases at verifying the efficacy of one's spiritual practice. Um, the other thing that I, I, I look at my, for myself is their uh, feedback from third parties. Mm-hmm. And I've had a situation where I, you know, I follow, sorry, began following a certain spiritual practice. And over the years, people started coming to me and asking me what was going on. And Gee, why, are, why are you so cranky all the time? No. Just... <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but began to, you know, to, to make comments like that. So I think that there's also room for some third-party verification. Um, but if you don't have third-party verification, keeping a written record can be incredibly helpful. Wait, how do you determine the third party? Well, in my case, it was actually uh, people who were not associated with each other asking me about something. Um, so, so you got a, enough independent corroboration yeah, yeah. Uh, just by sheer force of numbers. You start to say, well, hey, maybe there's something maybe to what some, these people are saying. Yeah. And, and you know, because I can, I, I can always imagine my own experience. It's very it, – it seemed to me that I was seeing some changes, but I could be just uh, fooling myself with regards to that. And, and, and very being easy. willing to admit that, I think, is, is, is such an important step. Sorry to interrupt you there. No, not at all. Um, but as I said, it, it was interesting because I had – there was that concern about that I was just fooling myself because I know that it's very easy to imagine spiritual states. It's yes. easy to imagine a- energy moving throughout the body. And that's mm-hmm. so easy to do. Um, but in this case, I actually had third parties from different sources just saying what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, may not be something that's going to happen for everybody, particularly if you've got somebody who is relatively solitary or they hang out with a really, truly horrible group of people. Although if your friends start dropping Like you, us, for example. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you know, sometimes people who have um, made positive changes in their life find that their old friends drop them, which is, can be a kind of a lonely way of going about things. But mm-hmm. it's one way of verifying that there's been some kind of change. Yeah, and I, I think that when we... Uh, you know, when we 
have these experiences, it is really important to to hold a critical lens up to them to say, okay, how do I distinguish between the vision that I had and you know the nightmare that I had because I had cold pizza before I went to bed, mm-hmm. yeah. and that can be tough, right? I mean that can be that can be difficult, and you know if we take the the oath of the uh, master of the temple seriously to interpret every uh, phenomenon as a particular dealing of God with my soul. That's a that's a dangerous slope. Sometimes that can be that can be really risky because then I say, oh yeah, you know, I was driving to work and I saw the license plate in front of me and it had this particular set of numbers and clearly this was a message that God was sending me in order to do this. You know, it, it, you can get into some really scary places that way. And you can you can drive yourself insane, uh, particularly when you seem to be getting contradictory messages. And then you don't know what to believe. So, right. yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, I always have to. That's why not problem. everyone should be taking the uh, oath of a master of a temple. Right. <laughs> I mean, I have this problem because you know the the dog next door is you know giving me messages from God, and you know sometimes you know they conflict with the messages that I'm getting from uh, you know the dog on the other side of the house. So, um, those I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That reminds me. Reminds me of the movie Noah starring Russell Crowe. Oh God! You had to bring it in, didn't you? Well, I did. You had, so. you had to work that in. Then. It's it's on my mind lately. <laughs> what, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Uh, God, it was an old. Was it an old Richard Pryor? Uh, Bill Cosby. It was a Bill Cosby. That's thing. right. Yeah. No. That was my first experience on a stage, actually, um, when I was uh, in fifth grade. There was a talent show at our school, and for whatever stupid reason, I have no idea what it was. I had had the routine memorized because I'm a big comedy nerd, and so <coughs> I uh, I said, uh, you know, I'll go and audition for this uh, for this this talent show, and I I got in the talent show and I did the routine and I put on a, a funky sweater and the whole thing. It was it was funny. It's a brilliant bit. It's a, you it know, really is. You know, how do we how do we make the distinction between? Uh, you know the voice that is is a real transmission from the divine and wish fulfillment or uh you know something that's that's suiting our own prejudices that's tough to do and 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 i think that that one of the things that we can do is be more rigorous with ourselves than we are with anybody else yep uh, you know it's that that you know if somebody says you know god spoke to me and said this you say huh okay well that's interesting. When you get that message, you go, "Okay, now I'm going to work this out. I'm going to I'm going to figure out exactly what the hell's going on." And and maybe maybe start with the maybe apply Adam's razor and mm-hmm. say, you know, maybe when I hear hoofbeats, I should think horses and and not zebras. And uh, you know, to to really say, "Okay, what's the rational, reasonable explanation uh, for for?" this experience that I've had and maybe then if that doesn't seem to work then I go to the maybe this is a message from the divine maybe this is a a true new spiritual insight um Occam's razor is a, is a very useful little technique so and, and you know sometimes the insight as I, I addressed earlier may just be for your, you at that time and may not have a wider application. Yeah, yeah. And 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 that's that real possibility there that this is something for you, right now. And uh, you know, keep your yap shut, and and uh, continue working. Mm-hmm. 
And, and I think it all goes back full circle to. Oh dear. Oh, we, we, we've lost your audio there for a second. Bishop Ken. I think the cat, are we back? Yeah. <laughs> We're back. I, I, I think the cat stepped on something here. Um, I think it was God. message from God. Maybe it was. Whatever you're going to say, don't say it. Um, a bit as I was saying, I think you know we can, uh, can go back full circle to what uh, Bishop Peterson was stating earlier about keeping a journal. And I think you know sometimes this does give us some insight when we may um, – receive some bit of gnosis or knowledge that we may uh, take as divine or as uh, something really important. Now we've got a basis to kind of judge this particular experience on. Is this experience meant, as you just stated, for the here and now in that particular moment? Is this something that we can apply elsewhere in other parts of our life? Is it something that we necessarily need to share? But I think it all kind of boils down to sometimes we just need to keep our mouth shut yeah. and and really apply kind of those rules of of critical thought on, on that analysis upon what we're receiving. Absolutely. And the other thing, the other thing I, I would say, Bishop Ken, is that it's also possible for you to have an experience, you think you understand the experience, but in fact, the significance is something that you're not going to understand for years. I, I've, I have experienced that uh, precisely myself. Things that oh, yeah. at the oh, time yeah. when I go back and I look at journals or I go back and I remember experiences that at the time that I thought I truly understood those. And sometimes not for a decade later till yeah. I go, aha, now have the aha moment on what that truly meant. And okay. that may change 10 years from now. Yeah, right, and, and exactly. Ken, you've definitely got the advantage of being, you know, 170 years old. So. <laughs> but I look great for my age, though. Yeah, philosopher's stone, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that I really like that I, we haven't mentioned, that, um, the, the word logos itself, very important for the Gnostic tradition, but in addition to word, it also means reason. It has a context of, of reason as well. And so the... It's it's built into the framework, you know. That in the beginning was the logos. Um, it, it includes the concept of reason in that. Well, I mean, there's the wonderful in in Aristotle. Um, Aristotle gives the very very Onassis. famous. Yes, Aristotle and Onassis, of course. Uh, Aristotle uh, gives this uh, very famous uh, description of or definition of a human being: "Ekon zoon logon," and Aquinas takes that and he translates that into uh, 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 Latin, and he says "animal rationalis," that that and man is a rational animal. That logon in that case means uh, not word or speech, at least as as Aquinas is reading it, but reason, and and philosophically the relationship between language, uh, speech, tongue, and thinking, reason the critical faculty has always been very, very close. And so I think that it does behoove us that when we use this word logos to go, okay, remember that that means thinking. Remember that that means reason. Remember that that means being critical. That's a really important point, I think. Absolutely. And that there is no, 
if, if that's if that's our if that's our tradition, then claiming that any questioning of a person's experience because they're you know you're you're harshing my mellow by not acknowledging the the universality of of my experience, which is entirely my own and entirely sacred, is probably not real legitimate. They ought to find another religion, maybe. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got to start somewhere. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're uh, we're at about our hour, uh, so that was a that was a fun conversation. It was. It, it was. It definitely was. Well, yeah, I, you know, thank you again to to you guys. Thank for, you so for much, Mark me, Thomas, for uh, joining us. I have a blast. Now, unfortunately, now I can't give uh, Lainey a hard time about not asking. <laughs> You know, you've 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 taken away my my uh, your reason d'etre. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, I'll just have to find something else to 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 give Lenny a hard time about. Uh, I'm sure you'll be able to. I'm sure he'll be able yeah. to find many things. Actually, <laughs> actually, I, actually, Bishop, I was waiting for the school year to come to get out, but um, I was trying to be considerate. But I guess, oh well. <laughs> it, it just it never ends. It, it never, never ends. ends. So there, there's really not a good time. And and really, I mean, if I can't dedicate, uh, you know, a couple hours of my evening to to a project like this, um, you know, maybe I've got my priorities a little goofed up. It's 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 not that demanding, and I have such a fun time doing it. So I I really do appreciate it. Well, it was wonderful well, we having really you on the show. Look forward to you coming back sometime. And I guess the Eucharist never ends, and neither does Bishop Bean's work year, huh? Oh, isn't that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, everybody, thank you so much for, for joining us on tonight's episode of Talk Notes After Dark. We look very much forward to uh, continuing these, again, with your support. And you can support this show and Talk Notes and all of uh, the other projects that are being worked on by uh, going to patreon.com slash Gnostic. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot slash Gnostic and pledge uh, any amount that you would like to per per video, per podcast uh, so that we can continue bringing you uh, these episodes. Yeah, not only that, I mean, not only will you support what we do, but we also have a couple of things on offer as gifts and rewards and thank yous for uh, for supporting us. One of them is to watch this podcast live as we record it and you can ask your questions uh, to us in real time and and uh, if they're good, we'll answer them. If they're good. Yeah. yeah. It's a big gift. Put some critical thinking into your questions. Exactly. Question. Right, exactly. All right. Well, then uh, have a good night, you guys, and we'll see everybody else next week. Thank Take you so care. much. so much. This has been a production of the Gnostic NYC Network. For more information on this and all of the Gnostic NYC Network's programming, visit GnosticNYC.com. This podcast has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International License. 